Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. And good morning. Uh, you are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and this is Zane, and I am flying solo this morning uh, because Lali and Jacob are getting ready for Socialist Alliance National Conference, which is happening in Geelong uh, this weekend. So if you're in Geelong and you're hanging around Geelong Trades Hall, stick your head in the door, see what's going on. Get a, uh, a hard copy of Green Left, uh, perhaps a, I don't know, some kind of activist t-shirt or whatever. Don't, don't be a stranger, come say good day. Alright, uh, we've got a few um, interviews this, this morning. We're going to be talking to our uh, good friend from 3CR, Ewan Close, who's um, doing some work with the uh, Australian Unemployed Workers Union. He's actually their secretary there now and is helping organise a protest. So we'll be talking to the union after uh, 8 o'clock. We're also going to be speaking to Petrina Harley from the Save Belia Wetlands um, campaign that's been happening over near Perth in Western Australia. Uh, People familiar with the Stop East-West Link protests would know that there are many benefits to investing in rail instead of new freeways, Uh, and this campaign over in WA has been fighting the same sort of fight, uh, with the added, uh, I guess, detail that the planned road is going to go through really sensitive Aboriginal land um, that's been used by the Noongar people over there for thousands of years. So uh, disgraceful stuff in short. So we'll be talking to Petrina a bit later on, probably a bit before 8 o'clock. And we're also going to be speaking shortly with Zebedee Parks, whose um, recent documentary has been getting a bunch of exposure. Uh, it's a documentary about a uh, some young refugee people and what it's like to be a refugee, basically. Uh, but without further ado, uh, we should uh, acknowledge that 3CR is coming at you from the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was uh, and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, all right. Last year, on my birthday, <laughs> December 13, I got a text message from an innocuous, uh, well, fairly imposing sounding group called the Probe Group. And it said, please call us urgently about this matter. And it had a little um, uh, serial number that I should quote when I rang them up. And I thought, what is this? I've already got a text off this Probe Group once before. Seems like telemarketing or spam. Why are they 
why are they getting back to me again? Anyway, I'll bring the number. And, lucky me, I was caught up in the Centrelink robo-debt scandal. Whoop-dee-doo, lucky me. And I was informed, on my birthday no less, that I owed Centrelink, apparently, $5,600. And because I didn't reply, because I was sending stuff to my old address from five years ago, which is interstate, because I didn't reply, uh, it had been referred to the um, aptly named Probe Group Debt Collection Agency, and so they were now chasing me for not only the 5100 and blah blah actual debt, but also for their $500 collection fee. Uh, so I went into the local Centrelink office, uh, got there bright and early before the doors opened. Uh, no, this is, by the way, not before being on hold for an hour a couple of times, trying to find out info unsuccessfully. So I went into the local Centrelink office and I said, hey, uh, apparently I owe you $5,600. Uh, do you want to give me some information about this debt that I apparently owe you? Because I'm pretty sure I don't owe you one red cent. And... The Centrelink staff member that I spoke to said, oh, we can arrange a callback, and was basically trying to tell me, no, we don't actually have any more detail about that, and you'll have to wait for someone to call you back, talk to someone else. Uh, And so I had a little diary, and I got my diary out, and I said, okay, so just for the record, uh, I've come into the Centrelink office, and you're telling me that you're not going to provide me with any printed documentation at all about this $5,500 debt that I owe you. And then the staff member was a little bit flustered, and like, I had my little diary, and I'm writing all this down, and this staff member was like, oh, 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 oh. So they went, and they printed out a duplicate of the debt notice, which doesn't give you any information. Uh, anyway... Long story short, after letters to the Ombudsman and various um, um, requests for documents, I requested copies of my fortnightly uh, income declarations from five years ago. Uh, I requested, uh, did a freedom of information request and requested copies of case notes. I sent a strongly worded letter to the Ombudsman, uh, uh, to the sorry, to the head of the Department of Human Services, and I said, what gives you the authority if people don't respond to your letters to make false declarations in their name, saying, oh, yes, I didn't receive this income? Uh, Anyway, long story short, I I got this documentation. Sure enough, I'd been done with the same fortnightly averaging of income and the same duplication of income where, for example, if you worked for the CFMEU and you declared your income as having worked for the CFMEU for the last fortnight, then when the Centrelink robot mm, looks for data against your name from the tax office and it comes from the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union, then they will allocate that as a separate stream of income on top of your CFMEU income. So ridiculous mistakes, which any human who looked this stuff up would pick straight away. Uh, but of course the robot 
he's not a human. The robot is um, arguably programmed to um, maximise the amount payable to Centrelink. Uh, so eventually I got out of my Centrelink debt, but there's been a lot of uh, news going around that people would be aware of. So far about 230,000 of these um, what might be referred to as speculative invoices have been sent out and there's a whole lot of people who do not owe Centrelink any money uh, who are getting very stressed out by these debt letters that they've been sent. And I will just open up the latest Green Left Weekly because there's an excellent article by Paz Forgion and it looks at the whole story of Centrelink debts including the legality of it and outrageously the onus of proof is not on Centrelink but on the individual. They are required to find pay slips, often dating back five or six years, potentially many jobs ago, to prove they're not guilty of being overpaid. Given this, it is no surprise that many recipients, feeling overwhelmed, have chosen not to contest debts that might have been incorrect and have, have started making repayments. Australian Lawyers for Human Rights President Benedict Coyne has been scathing. At the most basic level, no entity should be issuing legal demands for money unless they are absolutely certain the money is owed and can substantiate this in court. It is for the creditor to prove any debt. It is also up to the creditor to ensure the alleged debtor receives the repayment demand, i.e. you can't just send stuff to an address from five years ago and think that that's legit. Uh, continues Benedict's coin. It is entirely wrong for Centrelink to put alleged debts in the hands of debt recovery agents when the debts are not proved and or the alleged debtor never received the original claim or to claim interest or process fees on money that is very probably not owing at all. Uh, no less critical was Paul Shetler, the former head of the government's Digital Transformations Office. He described the debt saga as quote-unquote cataclysmic and that if they were a commercial company, you would go out of business with a 20% failure rate, i.e. 20% of these debts. So far, the government is admitting are wrong. Potentially, the, the numbers are a lot higher than that. Uh, if, if this was a private company with a 20% failure rate, a known 20% failure rate, you'd go out of business. Any other kind of matching service would. So the most recent um, announcement from the Social Services Minister, Alan Tudge, is that because um, he's so nice and so responsive to community concern, there's been a change in Centrelink policy and they will no longer uh, force people to start making repayments while they have their robo-debt reviewed. Clap, clap. Thank you. That's so nice of you, Alan Tudge. However, the issue is uh, that there are still these automated, false, incorrect, wrong robodets being spammed out to people by your computer. And 
the bigger issue here is to turn that horrible computer off and stop spamming out these speculative revenue-raising invoices. So, I will pretty much leave it at that. Um, needless to say, I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet, having been personally affected by this, and... Uh, there's a rally coming up on the 31st of January, which is a Tuesday. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking to you and Close from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. If you can help get the word out, let everyone know about this rally. Try and get a real strong, vibrant turnout on Tuesday, the 31st of January and really make some noise because I think this is a, win- a winnable campaign. The Australian Council of Social Services, just in the last 24 hours, has been saying, nah, get rid of it, get rid of the debt machine, it's wrong. Uh, there's more whistleblowers coming out from Centrelink, including from their compliance department, saying, this is wrong, what we're being told to do is wrong. The union, the CPSU for Centrelink workers, is saying, this is wrong, get rid of it. I think it's a winnable campaign. And Tuesday, the 31st of January, we can make a bunch of noise and get this thing nipped in the bud. All right, you are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. So there is an article in the latest Green Left by Ken Canning, who is from Sydney, and hopefully we'll talk to um, Uncle Ken soon. Ken's a member of the... Uh, Socialist Alliance and also the Indigenous Social Justice Association. And Ken says, Early last year, an academic debate over Invasion Day erupted at the University of New South Wales. Apparently some well-credentialed people are offended that the term quote-unquote invasion is used to describe January 26. I would be quite happy to not have to use that term. Stop and think for a few minutes. That would mean altering history and going back in time and ensuring the invasion of this country now called Australia never happened. We all know that's impossible, and the sooner they get their grey matter around the obvious, the quicker we can get along the road to some form of consensual respect. As it is now, I simply cannot respect anybody who denies European colonisation of this country. I've heard all the arguments about whether it was an invasion or not. Let's not get bogged uh, too bogged down in some theoretical dream here. Fact, on January 26, 1788, British ships sailed into what is now called Sydney Harbour. Fact, that land and all other traditional lands were taken by force. No lands were ever ceded to the British. Any spin can be put on this, but you cannot escape these vital points. I know on reading this, the critics will be baying, but think for a few minutes. We, as First Nations peoples, have a right to determine history, as well as our views are as valid as any academic apologist. Show some respect and stop trying to dictate the history of the country you now occupy. Having said that, I would like to invite everyone to attend the Sydney Invasion Day March. We're meeting at 10am at the Redfern Community Centre and marching to the southern end of uh, Hyde Park. I understand, actually, just as an aside, that the, um, there's just some late discussion about a potential other destination um, for, for that rally. Um, but we'll, we'll keep you updated. Most listeners of 3CR in Melbourne probably might not be going to that rally, so it's not... Uh, super relevant. Anyhow, last year, 
uh, going, continuing with Ken Canning's article uh, in Green Left, last year up to 6,000 people marched down George Street under the manor under the banner of Invasion Day, many of them non-Aboriginal, I'm sure some would have had mixed feelings on the day, but by participating, they all learned. The march is being organised by FIRE, fighting in resistance equally. FIRE is made up of many First Nations groups and other non-Aboriginal oppressed sections living in the so-called Lucky Country. This organisation was behind a successful rally marking International Human Rights Day on December 10 last year. We do not shy away from the fact that we are essentially made up of protest groups such as Grandmothers Against Removals, Indigenous Social Justice Association and Fighting in Solidarity Towards First Treaties. Um, uh, Sorry, Fighting in Solidarity Towards Treaties. This is not to say we are a violent group, far from it. Our protests are always peaceful. We walk strong and proud, and people who attend always come away with a renewed perspective of what has been fraudulently passed off as this nation's history. We do need numbers in the streets to have our voices heard. This is imperative. I've always been of the belief that once you can overturn the colonial mentality consuming our governments resulting in the continued denial of justice for First Nations peoples and under the oppression we all live under, you will in effect overturn the same mentality that is keeping 90% of our population prey to the whims of big business-run governments. On January 26, come and join us, walk with us and learn from us. For far too long, knowledge in this country has been confined to the world of academia. We, the First Nations peoples, carry a knowledge as old as time itself. Yes, we are protesting, but we are all more than willing to share with those who walk with us. So that is uh, Ken Canning from uh, from Sydney. And uh, there's a rally that I'll be announcing later on. That's the Invasion Day rally in Melbourne. It's going to be happening at the State Parliament on Thursday the uh, 26th, uh, starting at 11am. No pride in genocide. So, yeah, make sure you get out on uh, Thursday and show your support and walk with uh, First Nations uh, people, um, yeah, on on this this really um, painful day. And I've read a... um, I read a news thing going around last night, and it was Richard D. Natale saying some weird thing about burning the flag. Like um, Richard D. Natale, leader, of course, of the Australian Greens, uh, Greens senator for Victoria, and he, it was something like uh, Greens believe in non-violence, including, um, you know, we're I'm, I'm opposed to all forms of violence, including flag burning. Or, or something like this, and it was having a go at uh, left renewal, this new sort of left-wing tendency in the Greens, and, and saying, oh, well, we, we don't support uh, flag burning, uh, the leadership of the Greens. So, yeah, pretty pretty weird and gutless. Um, if you're out there on Thursday and you're inclined to spark one up, uh, more strength to your arm, <laughs> I say. I'm sure there's going to be a bit of flag burning, and... Who could be surprised by that sort of um, um, symbolic action on a day that is, you know, really stomping on the graves of all those Aboriginal resistance fighters who've, 
you know, fought back against the ongoing colonisation uh, and, and dispossession of their, of their people. Um, yes, all right. So you are listening to uh, Green Life Radio, and there was a rally in Sydney. It's going back a couple of weeks. It was on uh, uh, December 29. And this was a rally for justice for David Dungay Hill Jr., a Dungadi man from Kempsey. And Dungay Hill, a 26-year-old Aboriginal man, was an inmate in Long Bay Prison, a sufferer of chronic diabetes. Dungay Hill ate a biscuit in his cell to restore his blood sugar levels. For this crime of eating a biscuit, eight officers restrained him while another administered a sedative. Seconds later, he cried, I can't breathe, and within a minute, he was dead. Uh, an internal investigation into Dungay Hill's death, uh, conducted by the Corrective Services Investigation Unit, took eight months to release a toxicology report. No one has been stood down. No one has uh, been charged. A police brief is yet to appear, and a coronial inquiry is still to come. So, justice for David Dungay Hill. Um, yet another Aboriginal person who's died a entirely preventable death in custody in this country uh, at the hands of thuggish and uh, brutal um, police and, and prison guard uh, actions. Um, all right, some uh, other news. Australia votes against a treaty outlawing nuclear weapons. The United Nations adopted a historic resolution on December 24 last year to launch negotiations this year on a treaty to render nuclear weapons illegal. Australia opposed the resolution. The government said US nuclear weapons are essential for security and their use could be justified in certain circumstances. This position was opposed by neighbouring countries, including Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand and New Zealand, which uh, voted in favour of the resolution to get rid of nukes. The General Assembly vote was 113 nations in favour and 13 against, with 13 abstentions. And there's an article from Sam Wainwright from... um, Sam Wainwright is a Socialist Alliance councillor on the City of Fremantle Council. Uh, Australia Day changed the date. When when Fremantle councillors voted in August last year to end the Australia Day fireworks display that had been running for the past eight years, I fully expected a conservative backlash, says Sam Wainwright. But even I was surprised to see the decision featured in news bulletins for months on end. On one level, the whole thing is bizarre. Local governments are not obliged to do anything special on January 26, and most of them don't. What drove the conservative media and and coalition politicians into a frenzy was the council's reason for uh, dropping the fireworks display. They're not too fussed by academics and progressive-minded people acknowledging that modern Australia was founded on the violent dispossession of its indigenous peoples when talking amongst themselves, 
They do not care if Indigenous people themselves describe it as Invasion Day, but an arm of the government, even one as small of the city of Fremantle, disrupting the happy, clappy nationalist and racist narratives that they cling to, that's just too much. If they had any smarts, they would have taken the ignore it and it will go away approach, but they couldn't help themselves. It had to be nipped in the bud and smashed to stop the contagion spreading. An example had to be made of the heretics. Thankfully, the full-throttle outrage has backfired on them. The frothing of the Murdoch press was predictable. The West Australian tried a slightly more subtle approach with patronising editorials, chiding us for our well-meaning but misguided approach. When that failed, they resorted to cartoons, ridiculing Mayor Brad Petit, portraying him as a naive little boy. Despite being vilified and ridiculed, uh, Fremantle Council has stood its ground, and the longer the conversation has gone on, the more it's shifted in favour of a re-examination of January 26. It is popping up everywhere, some of it prompted by the Fremantle Council decision. In other places, we just helped it along. Confirmation that the tide was flowing in the right direction was the Gruen segment on Selling the Impossible, which chose Changing Australia Day as the theme. Other examples are the petition for Triple J to change the date of its Hottest 100, an Adelaide brewery that has released a beer under the label First Nations Change the Date. For its part, the city of Fremantle has replaced the fireworks with a free community concert on January 28 called One Day in Fremantle with artists such as John Butler, Dan Sultan and Mama Kin. It does not pretend to be the new quote-unquote Australia Day. It's just a nice day in January for some inclusive events. Importantly, the day will begin with a Noongar cleansing smoking ceremony at the Roundhouse, the place where many hundreds of Aboriginal prisoners were held on their way to Wadjamup, Rottnest Island, mostly to die. Uh, dropping January 26 as Australia Day by itself does not change the structural causes of Indigenous disadvantage or reverse the horrors of the past, but unless we can have an honest discussion about the past, we will not be able to create a better future. The national days of other countries, no matter how much they may be manipulated by politicians, often mark truly historic advances for humanity. Examples are the French Revolution, South Africa's Freedom Day, and for so, for so many countries, their hard-fought independence from a colonial occupier. What about Australia Day? Should we propose a different date? Or is the very purpose of such a day simply to cultivate mindless nationalism? Perhaps we should put it a different way. Australia Day, or whatever it might be called, should be on the day that Australia becomes a republic. A republic founded on a treaty or treaties with its indigenous people that recognised that sovereignty was never ceded. A republic with a bill of rights that recognises people's right to housing, education and a livelihood. A republic that recognises that human society needs to live in peace with the planet. Uh, our purpose in dropping January 26 should be to focus on the changes we need to make if we want a more just and inclusive society for all. So that's uh, Sam Wayne right there uh, in green left talking about changing the date. Uh, you're listening to 3CR, and on the line we have 
got Petrina Harley from the Save Belia Wetlands campaign over in Western Australia. Welcome, Petrina. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, so, tell us a bit about the uh, campaign, just like general broad brushstroke stuff, because uh, some of our listeners here in Melbourne wouldn't, you know, not really necessarily be super aware of the of the campaign yeah. you're involved in over there. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, I've kind of only joined recently. This has been going on for several years through the courts. Um, so Barnett is proposing to, well, he started to build a basically a six-lane massive highway that's supposed to connect Fremantle Port, um, and it goes right through um, uh, Belia Wetlands, which is one of the last few remaining wetlands we have in Perth. It's um, culturally very significant for the Aboriginal people. It's also got lots of endangered species. Um, and basically the, the, the campaign has, has taken a turn in that all the avenues through the court, all the talking, all the um, you know legal avenues most people have, have basically been ignored by the government and um, people have realised that you know, civil disobedience is the only thing we've kind of got left. And um, so it's been pretty amazing in that the, the whole community has risen up and you've got, um, you know, parents, teachers like myself who've probably never had any confrontation with the law before and going up trees, locking themselves onto vehicles. Um, we've got, you know, people going to training sessions for non-violent direct action. Um, and yeah, pretty determined to just try and stop it because obviously we've got um, the election coming up in March, and um, uh, yeah, we're hoping you know change of government might stop the project. But in the meantime, we're just trying to do as much as possible to just save what trees we can, what you know animals we can, and um, yeah, spread the word that more roads just not the way to go. We need to be looking to alternatives like rail, basically. Yeah, right. And, uh, and you're going to be running as a uh, candidate in that upcoming uh, election for the Socialist Alliance, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Um, I haven't even been with Socialist Alliance for a year yet, um, but I guess this is the... Um, you know, I just got so frustrated with, with our government and what's been happening and, you know years of ranting and raving on Facebook don't achieve much and I've just gone, you know what? <laughs> I'm just gonna run. I'm gonna run myself because yeah, we need to we need to be doing something. Yeah, wicked. Um now I, I was uh, reading a bit uh do you know a bit about the, the Aboriginal significance of the Belia wetlands? Um because it's it's quite a special place for the Noongar people, isn't it? Yes. Yes. The um um several Several elders actually, because what happened was purely organically a, um, a kind of camp sprang up. It started with a few people that you know just wanted to keep an eye on when they started putting the fences around. Um, but um, yeah, quite a few um, Aboriginal families have taken the roles on Echo Camp, and yeah, just hearing their stories, you know, there, there are places there that in the last few remaining places where some Aboriginals, you know, still. Um, hunt their food, um, you know, there were stories of um, women who, you know, still alive, who know of women who, you know, have given birth there, 
died there. There's, yeah, lots of sacred places for them. And I guess, well, it's generally, isn't it? It's Australia-wide. It just, it just keeps happening. They're just losing more and more of the little land that they have left. And, um, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, actually. I mean, as a white person, obviously, you know, I'm against the pollution and the endangered wildlife, but, but, um, for them, it's, it's, uh, truly painful, you know, it's, it's heart-wrenching to watch them, watch the bulldozers go in, it's, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I went to, um, uh, I went to the SaveBeliaWetlands.com website. Yep. And then from there I went to the Save North Lake, uh, website, and that looks a little bit more at the Aboriginal history of the site, and, uh, yeah, yeah it's really interesting stuff, like, b- because it is, uh, um, uh, a place that's rich with bird life and fish, that's yeah. somewhere that um, whilst the Noongar people moved around a lot, there was generally uh, some clan members, particularly the elderly, who remained near the lakes um, through uh, throughout the year. Yeah. Um, and that there's 8,000-year-old Church's um, uh, stone... To artifacts have been found there and shirts can only be obtained from quarries that are presently below sea level which were last exposed 8,000 years ago. So yeah, yeah, they're saying there are artifacts through there that, you know, older than the, older than the pyramids. Um, and it was one of the, the avenues, obviously, that we're trying to pursue through the courts. It was a, um, a native claim on there and I think there's one possible, I'm not sure, I think we've pretty much exhausted everything in the courts. But, um, yeah, uh, as our government tends to do, they'll just deregister or delist, you know, land that has previously been um, noted as being culturally significant. But, you know, if there's money to be had, they will, uh, yeah, change that pretty quickly, <laughs> it mm. seems. Yeah. Hmm. And, uh, so, and what's, what's the latest campaign activity? Because you just had a pretty big, uh, sort of action a couple of days yeah, ago there, didn't you? We had last Thursday, um, apparently the biggest action, biggest demonstration we've ever had in Perth. There were over a thousand people. And, um, this is what's so amazing about it. As I said, it's just kind of organically happened. Like the press now is kind of paying us all as, you know, professional protesters, feral, hippie, tree hugging. Um, but it's not at all. It's actually, as I keep saying, you know, people like myself, there's doctors, there's accountants, there's people are actually going down. So they're calling for, um, as I said, they're starting to get organised now, but they're calling, um, we had a mass action. So they call people down about five o'clock in the morning. Um, and people are coming down like before work. It's hilarious. They're all saying to us, you know, get a job. <laughs> get a job, you lazy socialist kitties or whatever. But the fact is, it's, yeah, it's professional people in the community. And mm. loads of them are actually coming down before work, putting in, say, two, three hours, and then going off to their jobs. Um, but, yeah, Thursday was um, amazing for me in that it was the point in time where it, the campaign kind of turned and you could see people realise the, the power of people. You know, it sounds really cheesy, but um, mm. what happened was the, the police have basically, you know, fenced off. They, fed, they go in, they fence off a section that they're going to bulldoze down. And then inside, um, they had a, a couple of bulldozers, you know, to start work. Um, a couple of women had gone in that morning about 4 o'clock and managed to um, chain themselves onto two of the bulldozers. 
So the cops have then kind of cordoned off these bulldozers then within the fenced area. So Thursday morning, as I said, over a 1,000 people turned up, all lined up against the fence. Um, and, yeah, people just realised, hang on, we outnumber the police here. There's actually nothing they can do if we decide to, you know, go in. And, it, as I said, there wasn't even a signal. There wasn't, I don't know what it was, but, you know, a 1,000 people lined up against the fence. The fence just went down. Um, and then there was a brief pause. As I said, these aren't <laughs> professional protesters. It was almost like a fear, oh, my God. Um, and then, yeah, a few people took the step went in over the fence and that was it. Everyone swarmed in and then um, surrounded the, the bulldozers. And It was not very peaceful, but it's kind of turned a bit nasty recently. Like um, yesterday, someone was actually trampled by a horse. He was sitting peacefully. He wasn't even inside the enclosed area. Um, and, yeah, he got trampled stitches. Um, they found some tripwire. A horse got injured the day before tripwire and now of course they're spreading the rumour that it was protesters which is just ludicrous because it goes against you know the entire philosophy of non-violent direct action and most a lot of the protesters are also you know staunch vegans or vegetarians or animal lovers as well and there's just no way it would have been us yeah they wouldn't be trying to injure horses no no not at all yeah i saw uh, one of the campaigners who i'm friends with uh chris jenkins and he was he made the point that well statistically the biggest number of people <clears throat> down there is protesters so yep. if you put down a tripwire the people it's most likely to get actually is yep. other protesters so it yeah, doesn't absolutely. really add up that that would have been put there <laughs> yeah but it it seems it's a definite like all of a sudden, you know, stories come out in the the, the West, like they are eminent um, opponents of <laughs> having any kind of any kind of protest. But yeah, suddenly there's um, there's even pro row eight groups that have sprung up, which um, you know are, are pretty hateful. They're the ones calling for violence. And but no, the the Belia protesters are, as you said, all about non-violence, um, peaceful. Um, Basically, you know, we're just calling mass numbers so that literally they, um, you know, the workers can't, can't start. That's, that's our only tactic, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, people have responded amazingly. It's, um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's 1,000 people. That's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a yeah, pretty staunch rally on, uh, on anyone's uh, yeah, assessment, yeah. I reckon. And as I said, it was, I mean, it's bittersweet. It's horrible being down there and watching the you know, the trees go down, but at the same time to be part of that community feeling, it was it was just amazing that that point in time where people suddenly realised they actually do have the power to, you know, stand up for what they believe in. It was awesome. Yeah, wicked. Now, uh, if there's people out there listening this morning, which I'm sure there there is in, in Melbourne town, uh, how can people from the East Coast or, you know, outside of uh, Frio or Perth support the campaign and, and show solidarity? Um, yeah, in lots of ways. That, that that would be great because, as as we say, you know, this isn't isn't just a fight for um, WA. It's, it's happening all over Australia and all over the world, really, and we call this our, our own little Dakota. Um, but, yeah, if we could just... People could um, get on the site that so we have... Uh, Rethink the link and um, save the Belia wetlands. Um, post comments um, would would be awesome. 
um, we actually wear these little solidarity pins. I brought a couple over with me that I might take to take to the conference. Um, just to, you know, show solidarity and, and support for everyone. It's just a little piece of blue material pinned to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, is there a GoFundMe, uh, a crowdfunding page set up? I'm not sure. Um, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out. And, yeah, uh, yeah if you've got a crowdfunding thing happening, we'll yeah. uh, certainly repost that on the Green Left Radio no, site and try and get it around. Yeah, thank you. And I've noticed at the... Um, Save Delia Wetlands website, there's the, the black cockatoo is uh, pretty prominent. What, what's the story there? Well, um, the wetlands obviously is a, is a major, major nesting ground for them um, and environmentalists reckon that if Delia Wetlands go, that the black cockatoo is going to be extinct within 15 years. Um, and there's, there's a um, guy who pretty much dedicated his life to, to saving them and he turned up at the camp and he's got a few, you know, rescue birds. So a lot of the, the campers and protectors are, you know, <laughs> a particular affinity with them now. Um, but, yeah, you, I mean, you, you see them through Perth suburbs and stuff, but not, there's not a lot, you know, and not regularly. And, mm. yeah, they say if the wetlands go, that they'll be made extinct. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's going to have to win the campaign then. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, um, thanks heaps for talking to us this morning and we'll no keep an eye out for that crowdfunding page and, really? uh, yeah, and, and if, if people do want to know more and sort of send a message of support, uh, check out savebiliawetlands.com. Yes, yes, and if they want to, um, because we said it's not just environmental, obviously, um, as part of social life, we, we're desperate to get, you know, cars off roads. And historically, we know more roads just means more cars, more congestion, and it's really ill thought out. It's going to turn Fremantle into a horrible bottleneck of, you know, trucks and fumes. And um, there's an alternative plan. That's the thing. If the freight to rail was, has been around almost as long as this ill thought out plan, and that there's already infrastructure made. Um, and yeah, there, there's an alternative. That's, that's, I think, why people are so upset. This is unnecessary. Hmm. Yeah, it's money going to the wrong stuff. Exactly. Large amounts yeah. of it Someone and trashing. Someone paid promises to some contractors somewhere that, you know, they feel they've got to keep hmm. before they lose the election in March, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All right, give the Tories a flick. All right. <laughs> uh, Petrina Harley, uh, teacher, Socialist Alliance candidate in uh, the WA elections that are coming up and Save Belia Wetlands campaign. Now, thank you very much for talking to us this morning. No worries. Thanks for having us on. Have a good one. All right. See ya. Alrighty. Uh, you're listening to 3CR. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. You're listening to Green Left Radio. It is Friday morning, the 20th of Jan, and on the line we have got Zebedee Parks, uh, whose short film For My Friends in Detention has been getting a bunch of coverage lately and won the Best Short Doco category at Sydney Indie Film Fest. Uh, welcome, Zeb. Hello, Bane. Uh, so, yeah, we've, uh, we, we did sort of word listeners up a bit about this, but tell us a bit about your film. Uh, uh, yeah, how did you, how did you make it? And what's the, 
What's the story? Well, part of it came out of when I first went on a refugee convergence in 2011. I went out to Leonora Detention Centre in Perth and myself and a group of other activists, including Sierra Ross, who's one of the main characters in the documentary. And it was sort of her first protest and my first protest outside a detention centre, and that was quite impactful on us, especially when we're waving across fences to refugees inside who are waving back out to us when we smuggled a letter out of detention there and revealed that there were kids in detention at the time when the government said there wasn't, and lots of these stories came out of that trip. And then over the next sort of four or five years, they kept on filming different convergences to detention centres and started getting bits and pieces of footage of Sarah Ross and kind of discovered, I guess, for me in the campaign, that one of the key things that motivated a lot of people to keep being involved, not just the cruelty towards refugees, but also the connection they have with refugees, and that was very impactful for activists to get involved and even refugees in detention often said to them one of the main things that kept them going was seeing people outside protesting and that connection that they had. And so then in 2015, when I was doing my final university unit in film production at Murdoch Union WA, I um, got the chance to pitch to do different projects and got accepted to do this as a short documentary for that unit. And so then I guess I started on that process of making the documentary there. Yeah, right. And uh, it's it's ended up getting uh, shared around a bit. Where's it? Uh, where's it's been shown? Uh, so the first film festival it got into, which was a bit of a surprise, was one called the Global Impact Film Festival in Washington in the US. And then from there it's um, gotten into a couple in the US, a few in Europe and the Sydney one in Australia. It recently got into one in Belfast and even got selected into one in Kathmandu recently. Wow. And... Uh and so you, you've said that Sarah Ross is in the film. Do, do you also sort of talk to or talk with um, uh, refugees who've been been granted asylum, or, or who else is uh, are you you're kind of talking to or looking at in the film? So the other main character is a guy called Kelly, who's a Tamil refugee. Yeah. Right. Who spent time in um, Kirsten Detention Centre in sort of northern Western Australia, out near Broome. And so I sort of got him and interviewed him for a couple of hours and have met him through the um, Refugee Rights Action Networks in Perth. And him and Sarah actually at a certain point um, got together in a relationship and so I had sort of a bit of footage of them together. <laughs> cool. So there's this whole sort of narrative of them talking about, you know, him being in detention and Sarah talking about times he was visiting refugees and eventually the two of them get out, he gets out and then the two of them eventually meet up and get together and Oh, nice. So there's a little uh, love story woven into it. There is a love story, and it's sort of a love story that really cements that kind of concept of for my friends' intention and motivating each other. Yeah, nice. Um, All right, and so uh, how can people see this film? Um, Is it available online, or is it... Do you know if there's any film festivals or anything like that in Melbourne coming up where we can see it? I've entered it into a couple of Melbourne, so if it gets selected, I'll let you know. Yeah, cool. Now at the moment, it's doing well the festival rounds and isn't online in that sense, but there's various groups that have been organising screenings, and it's definitely something that I've been saying that groups are welcome to contact me if they're interested in having a screening. And yeah, okay. People have. And how do people contact you for such a thing? Um, they can contact me through Greenleaf Weekly. Yep. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, 
if uh, if we get any if anyone's uh, interested in checking out uh, Zeb's film, former friends in detention, uh, that's another way you could send us a message at the Green Left Radio Facebook page, yeah. or the Green Left Weekly Facebook page. Uh, and all right, so just finally, are you are you working on any other film projects? Uh, have you got some new stuff in in the works? Uh, well, I've still been covering the refugee campaign, so loosely exploring concepts for broader projects around that. Hmm. There was so much happening, it's always difficult to tie down a feature narrative, if you like, especially in an ongoing campaign, but working for a few different ideas and also doing some stuff around the um, Sydney College of the Arts campaign. Yeah, right. Oh, so have you, and have you got some footage from... Uh, were, you, were you part of that occupation of uh, SCA? Yes, I do. Ah. I started loosely going through hours of footage of another guy from the occupation and various rallies surrounding it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I don't know, there's a lot of... Particularly the, the mainstream media, they'll tell us certain things about what protesters apparently are, but a good doco that goes inside of some sort of protest camp or occupation or event, it's its really, I think, um, yeah, it's really disarming, isn't it, to, to show these are just normal you know, people who are passionate about not screwing other people over. For sure. And, I mean, I think going back to the For My Friends and Attention doco, one of the things that does attempt to do a lot is there's a lot of films that show why the situation is so bad, but what I've tried to do is show why he can actually make a difference and how people being active can make a difference. And that's the story that rarely gets told. Hmm. Yeah, wicked. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep an eye out for Melbourne screenings of that. Uh, uh, thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you. All right. Uh, Zeb Parks there whose short film for my friends in detention has been getting showed at a bunch of short film fests around the world. And Melbourne is next in line, so keep an eye out for screenings of that. All right, you're on TCR, listening to Green Life Radio. You know how it is. I'm Zane, and it's uh, it's 8 o'clock, and the weekend is coming up. So if you've been selling your labour all week and you're feeling a bit tired... Don't worry, because there is a reprieve coming. Alrighty. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information. You're listening to Community Radio. 3CR. 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 855 AM. AU. Or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. All right, then. Uh, it's activist calendar time. So... Uh, there is actually a, a emergency speaker tonight for Machi Francisca Linconeo. Uh, that is at 5.30 this afternoon at the State Library of Victoria. Uh, release Machi Francisca Linconeo now. Freedom for all Mapuche political prisoners. 
repeal of the anti-terrorist legislation used against Mapuche activists, end of the repression and militarization in Mapuche territories, self-determination and freedom for Mapuche communities. Um, so I will be very honest, I don't know heaps about this um, campaign, but I understand that, um, yeah, Machi Francisco Linconeo was a... Um, a Mapuche uh, cultural um, elder and was involved in a struggle for land against sort of scummy imperialists, um, you know, like all across Latin America. You have big, rich corporations coming, kicking people off their land, destroying the land. So I, from what I understand, uh, this woman was involved in a campaign to, you know, protect... Um, protect land that is used by the people there for, for food production and that is culturally significant. Uh, someone was killed at some point and this woman was framed or, you know, unjustly arrested under anti-terror legislation in relation to this. And by all accounts, it's, uh, yeah, totally unjust. So, um, yeah, check that out. That's being organised by Mapuche Aboriginal Struggles for Indigenous Land and Latin America Solidarity Network. Um, and so, yeah, 5.30 this afternoon at the State Library. Go and check that out. I'm sure you'll be able to find out uh, a lot more info about this woman than I've just been able to give in a slightly incoherent manner. Um, yes. Uh, then, of course, we've got on Thursday, January 26th, uh, 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. at the State Parliament of Victoria. No pride in genocide. Calling all sovereign peoples and supporters together in Melbourne on Invasion Day 2017. If 2016 showed us anything, it's that the fight for Aboriginal rights is far from over. From the disgraceful human rights abuses in Don Dale to the continuing exploitation of Indigenous labour via the government's community development program to the ongoing fights against mining operations <coughs> and nuclear dumps on Aboriginal lands, 2016 will stand as one of the most regressive years in the country's history. We will not be pacified by bogus corporate-backed plans for constitutional recognition that fails to respect our honour and sovereignty. In 2016, Vic Aboriginal communities made this clear to the state government with a call for treaties. Join us at the steps of Parliament House at 11am to lay flowers in memory of our ancestors and hear speeches. From there we will march through the CBD. Anyone wishing to give a speech, conduct ceremony as we move through the city, provide equipment or help organise slash marshal, please email invasiondaymelb at outlook.com. Offers of assistance gratefully received. Please bring banners, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags, our instruments, and so on. All welcome. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So yeah, Tuesday, uh, sorry, Thursday, January 26, 11 a.m. at the State Parliament of Victoria. Big Invasion Day rally. And then there's the Dignity Not Debt and Centrelink Debt Debacle. Uh, that is on Tuesday. We did just play an ad before, but I, th I believe it is incorrectly says Monday, January 31. The 31st is actually a Tuesday, and the rally is at 12.30 at the State Library of Victoria. 
and it's uh, there are four demands. Abolish the debt recovery scheme. Since the coalition, supported by Labor, introduced the debt recovery system in July 2016, Centrelink have sent 20,000 debt notices per week to Social Security recipients. At least 20% of these notices are wrong. As a result of the government's broken system, tens of thousands of vulnerable Australians are being harassed by Centrelink and private debt collectors for debts they do not even owe. This is a disgrace. Two, dignity for Social Security recipients. The Coalition has gone out of its way to make dealing with Centrelink a humiliating and difficult experience for millions of low-income Australians. Despite the well-documented problems with Centrelink's phone system, online portal, application process and frontline offices, to name only a few, the Coalition has continually refused to address these problems, let alone acknowledge them. Australia's Social Security recipients deserve better. Three, restore adequate funding to Centrelink. Over the last five years, more than 5,000 Centrelink staff have been sacked. Consequently, Centrelink have been unable to keep up with the rising demand for its services. Last year alone, 36 million calls to Centrelink went unanswered. Uh, Due to Australia's rising population, it's estimated that each year the number of calls to Centrelink increases by 3 million. And number four lift payments above the poverty line. Australia's expenditure on social security payments is one of the lowest in the OECD. As a result, every social security payment sits well below the Henderson poverty line. So if you would like to help organise the rally coming up on Tuesday, January 31, uh, or add your organisation's endorsement, please contact the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union and the email there is contact at unemployedworkersunion.com. And there's, you can also look it up on Facebook, Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And speaking of which, I am going to go to a song, and then after that we're going to be speaking with um, Ewan Close, who's the secretary of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And, yeah, we'll hear about the rally and see what's been happening there. So, do keep listening. You are on 3CR. Ho <laughs> That's a spicy meatball. Uh, that is a little-known Newcastle band called Flaming Edgar. Uh, a one-gig wonder band that you played once at the march in August in 2014 and then ceased to exist because their front man, me, <laughs> moved to Melbourne. All right, we have got you and Close, the Secretary of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, on the line, and Ewan is uh, shoulders deep in organising this protest on uh, the 31st of January against the robo-debts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Ewan, welcome. Good morning, Zane. Uh, all right, so can you tell us a bit about what the uh, Australian Unemployed Workers Union has been doing, how you've been connecting with people who have got these robo-debts. Well, Uh, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, um, it's mainly an advocacy. We have an advocacy hotline where people that have trouble with the the, um, welfare system, the social security system, and also their job network agencies can call up and uh, we have 
uh, a guidelines book which covers the the job active deed of 2015 to 2020, which um, has got the, which is the contract between job network agencies and Centrelink. And in that guideline book, it uh, gives people their information on their rights, which Centrelink won't tell them, and the job network agencies won't tell them. And we get uh, we were open five days a week from ten o'clock to two o'clock, and people can call in and we give them advice and m- more direct them towards our guideline book where they can become informed about their rights and uh, it empowers them to be able to stand up for themselves against this punitive system. Now, on the um, this debt crisis, and it is just a debit, it is just a debacle on um, the most vulnerable people in Australia, mm. and people must be aware that this isn't just an attack on current unemployed people, but it also affects people that have entered the um, social security. Uh, system any time in the last five, six years. And, for example, some people might have only gone on unemployment benefits while they were in between jobs maybe five years ago Hmm. and just to make a claim. And this... And they might have got, like, one payment. And this flawed system calculates that that one payment that they got or it will they'll generate the wages that they that, that they might have got within within the time that they were unemployed if they were working for say one week they will generate that that they worked over 12 months and also if they claim that um, if if they write down an employer to Centrelink and they misspelled the employer's name wrong, that what they what the ATO has matched them up to, then it will come up as a double figure. So it is so flawed that um, it is sending people in, into distress. People that are already um, distressed and with financial problems because the unemployment uh, rate is so low, mm. are copying these debts, and it's just throwing, throwing them into more despair. Now, we're getting on the advocacy hotline, although I'm, I'm secretary of the AUW, but also I do one day's advocacy work, and the ever-increasing number of calls that we're getting on this debt scheme where people just don't know where to go. They just don't know what to do, and it is really distressing for them. And... But the, the fact that I, or what I'd really like to highlight is that we're getting an increasing number of people ringing up that are actually suicidal. I get phone calls of people that are absolute, that are in tears, and before you can even start talking to them, you have to calm them down hmm. and, and say, look, and then give them the step-by-step process of how to deal with this issue. So it is really, you know, you've got to ask the question, is, is what is what is the government up to? Is this a political stunt? To you, you, you'd think that if there was um, if the 
government was going to be fair on raking in uh, monies and, and debt, that not only would they focus on the un- unemployed people in the social security system, but they would also target the upper end of society, the wealthy tax dodgers, uh, yeah. where, the, where the big money is. Yeah. Yeah, the elite politicians, if that wouldn't even make the drawing board, yeah. if if they even suggested it, it would be political suicide for them. Mm. So, you know, there's a huge range of issues we had here. So it doesn't just affect present, un- present unemployed people, but also people that have been in the system in the past. Yeah, and I think... So, so, so it's really attack on the working class. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what really, um, I mean, to me, something that, that stands out about this is that the whole point of uh, work for the dole and all of these like disgusting meetings with these patronising people who tell you how to write a resume, it, it, it's all about making being on Centrelink a living hell, and therefore you're inclined to just accept whatever low-paying job you can get, even if it pays at or below award wages and the idea of, of wages going up is kind of this, this faraway dream when you're confronted with the reality of being on Centrelink. And I think that's the other way that this affects the, the working class is it's part of this ongoing thing to, to create this pit of, of poverty and, and make it really painful and horrible so that people just take whatever job they can get and shut up because at least it's better than being on, on Centrelink. Yeah, and it's... it's uh, I've got a feeling, of, and, and it's, it's, it's becoming more and more obvious that it's... it's um, the more uh, hard it is... I mean, to get, onto, to get onto Centrelink payments, you've got to jump over high hurdles and jump through the flaming loops and... Uh, it, it, just to get onto Centrelink, and then once, and then once you're on Centrelink, then they send you these job network agencies, which are privatised and run for profit only. So um, it's 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 an, the, the the government is making it that hard for people. It's it's more of a de- I think it's more of a deterrent for. Um, to make it more of a deterrent for people to say, well, I should accept anything rather than go on unemployment benefits. So we're getting people that uh, are becoming homeless. We're getting people that are getting into financial debt. I've heard of people that won't won't go on Centrelink because it is so demeaning and they're living off their credit cards and raking up thousands of dollars of debts on their credit card because they just can't handle the system. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I got sent one of these robo debts for. Yeah, I heard earlier. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, I I've been involved in political activity, and I'd consider myself someone who's reasonably, I don't know, I've I've done a bit of head kicking of bureaucrats and like trying to headbutt my way through brick walls over the years, but Jesus, a heck of a lot of people out there who, believe it or not, are not professional battlers of government bureaucrats. Um, you know, just because you're uh, unemployed doesn't mean you've 
you know, you've got a degree in social security law and you're really good at having fights with the, the state, with a, with a state agency. So... Well, this is, yeah, this, this is how sick it is. You know, they're, 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 they're attacking the vulnerable in society, people that can't get work. I mean, the... the in its, Australia's got a, a working population of just over 14 million. And 2.5 million of that 14 million, which is about 19%, is either unemployed or underemployed. Now, if you're underemployed, that could, that usually means like you've, you've, you live, you've, you've got some work, but it's not enough to survive on. You're only just struggling. Hmm. And you're probably getting a, um, a, a part. Um, social security payment. Hmm. So I, I just don't see the government's reasoning of keeping this this punitive system going when politi- it's politically damaging for them when you've got that much of a percentage of of voters who are being affected by this scheme. And also... It doesn't just affect the people that are getting the debts, because you could imagine if uh, someone, as like you were saying, who's um, not that educated, receiving one of these debts of thousands of dollars, who is already struggling, they're going to go to their um, their relatives and their friends, and they're going to be talking about it and complaining about it. What do I do? Where do I go on that? So it all also affects the people that they directly um, live with in their social life. Mm. So it just astounds me why they can't, um, why they just they won't even suspend it. I mean, we, the AUWU, uh, we we want these whole systems scrapped and go back to the more, um, you know, get the robo system scrapped. Mm. Go back to a more sensitive, you could say, approach where you contact the individual directly, ask them to come into the office. Put out, like you said earlier, when you went in, they couldn't even um, give you any information of where they got their their. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come on, phone. where is it? Show me your dossier. Show us what you've got That's on right. you. And they're like, oh, here's a one-page invoice for five and a half grand. I'm like, That's yeah, not what I'm talking about. Give me yeah. the evidence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I, I tell you, I, I can see there's going to be a class action on this. They'll be there's and of for sure there there will be, but. Um, just on um, before they brought the robo system in, the Centrelink would ask people to show what they they how they like like their um, past payslips or you know to, to um, prove why they have this debt, and then if it was shown that there was a, a legitimate debt. Uh, you would get maybe five dollars a fortnight taken out of your unemployment benefit, so that it wouldn't affect your uh, living living standards, even even though they're low. But it wouldn't um, it wouldn't massively drag further you into down. poverty. Huh. So what they've got here is if you don't respond within twenty eight days, eight days, and there's lots of examples why people haven't either. You know, a lot of people, people they their mail just stacks up on the kitchen table, and they might might only open it up once a month. Or people have moved moved house and um, 
haven't contacted Centrelink because they've started working or whatever, so that these letters are getting generated and going out to old addresses. And, and then they're getting, after the 21 days, they're getting a knock on the door from private debt collectors. Mm. And as we know, debt collectors, they don't care about your situation. They don't care about where the debt comes from, how it was accumulated. They just want the money and they want it now. And on top of your debt, you get an annual 10% fee on top of it mm. <laughs> if you've got a, if, if they generate a, a, a ten thousand dollar debt with a ten percent interest on top how are you ever going to pay that back mm. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's gross all right so tell us now, about the, uh, the um the rally coming up yeah yeah what's been happening there explain quite a bit about it in detail yep. um I'd like to stress if anybody out there is interested in joining the organising team, mm-hmm. I sure um, come along to next Wednesday's organising meeting at the Resistance Centre 407 Swanson Street, Level 5 at Druid's House and um, get involved. We've got banner painting coming up. We're, we've got heaps of leaflets that we need handing out and... You can get some posters to put up around your local area. But the big thing, I think, is to encourage people to get on Facebook and the page is Dignity Not Debt and Centrelink Debt Debacle and share that around to all your friends Hmm. and get them all involved. And also I want to mention the list of endorsements of organisations that have got behind us in this rally and we've got the Homeless Persons Union Fair go for pensioners have come on board, Council of Single Mothers and Children, the NUW, which is the National Workers of Union, and I'd like to really give them uh, uh, a great um, recommendation. They have been fantastic in helping out the AUWU. AUWU, we haven't even got an office. We're we're like homeless people. We're uh, they give us access to their facilities and resources. Yeah, cool. Uh, they, they've been great. Um, Socialist Alliance, of course, they've been great, giving us um, access to their offices as well and can help letting us do computer work. Sacred Stage have come on board. Uh, the Melbourne Unitarian Church have been great. And, of course, 3CR. Yeah, right. Oh, and just to clarify, too, there's, a, there's this ad uh, for 3CR... Uh, it says Monday, January 21, but it's a Tuesday, isn't it? Oh, we got it wrong, did we? <laughs> Whoopsie! <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I don't, we might be able to correct that. Yeah. Yes, it is Tuesday the 21st, no, 31st. And also, uh, listeners want to jump online, there's a petition running on change.org, and last I had a look, it is, which was late last night, it is fast approaching 60,000. Yeah, where? Which is huge. That's on change.org. Yeah, And the petition is Ombudsman to investigate settling debt recovery. So get on there and add your name to that one. Yeah, word. All right, um, you and Close, thank you very much. We're going to wrap it up because Beyond Zero Emissions are coming in. Good on you, um, Zane, and I'll see you down the National Conference tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. The uh, Socialist Alliance National Conference in uh, Geelong. Be there or be square. Put on your side. All right. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, you and close there from uh, the, the Secretary of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union uh, helping organise that uh, rally on January Tuesday, January 31. All right, stick around. Beyond Zero Emissions Radio is coming up. You've been listening to Green Left Radio and you are tuned in to 3CR, the most rad station in Melbourne. <laughs> 